Welcome to the Wilf Podcast, a podcast about women I like to follow. And I like to follow them too. It's me, Tess. And me, Amy. And this is our podcast. And we're your co-hosts. <laughs> we're figuring it out. We sure are. Amy, how are you? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. It is, I think, right now, as we speak, it is June 18th. It is for real summertime. Well, not really. Okay. Temperature-wise. Four four days away from real summertime. Um, But things are muggy. Things are hot. But things are also, you know, happy and active. That's true. Transitioning into summer break for me. Yeah. So, um, my question for you is that at the end of your school year, and the very last day of your school year with um, the young people you work with, there was a... a tragedy. It was, it was a tragedy. It was a mystery, probably a rom com if you <laughs> if you filmed it right. If it ends with a wedding. Yeah, basically it did enter the wedding. So we <laughs> we have a class pet, our first class mammal, because um, we've had fish. It's a hamster. Its name is Snowflake. Not because it's an offended millennial, uh, but because it's um, albino. <laughs> um, and we yeah, if on. it is an offended millennial, I'm going to say the name Snowflake <laughs> of an albino person is a little rough. <laughs> and by person, I mean hamster. That's right. So this hamster, white, live, red beady eyes, has been with us since Halloween. Got to the last day, and uh, I went in, cage, door, ajar. Just a little bit ajar. It's been giving us problems all year, but usually I catch it before I leave for the day. Not so on Wednesday. Um, lifted up a little plastic castle. No snowflake to be found. I thought, this is it. This is the end. She's crawled off into a small crevasse somewhere to die. Mm-hmm. She had had diarrhea the previous three days. which Oh, I God. Kept, I had kept <laughs> secret from the youths because I didn't want them to worry. And also, I knew none of them would take care of it like I did. Oh. Which was just a paper towel and some spritzed cleaner. Anyway, so the uh, the hunt begins as each new young person comes in, 15 in total. They all start looking. Um, they all are very good at pulling things off of walls, looking behind them, and then not putting anything back. So <laughs> just increasingly messy. By the end of the day, they had set up six different traps, including just raw carrots stuffed in corners, oh. peanut butter smeared on all the other loose cages. The Those are her vacation homes that she was <laughs> in. Um, and we were, like, throwing around ideas, like, oh, she left for the summer, went on summer vacation. The older kids got it. The younger ones were like, oh, she'll come back. And I was like, I really don't think so. This was it. She knew it was the end of the year. It was time. The next day, at the end of your barbecue, I orchestrated, and may I say executed flawlessly. It sounds breathtaking <clears throat> and really, truly moving. Yeah. It was a, a <clears throat> morning ritual. <clears throat> held in the afternoon, for Snowflake and all of her beloved fans. Her stands, you could say. (laughs) Um, Where we all sat in a circle in the woods at this park, and they each got a red bead and a white bead to uh, symbolize the the host. Oh, right. Her white body and her red eyes. That's right. Her her spirit. Excuse me. You're getting choked up, and it's completely understandable. (laughs) 
And I had a little flower pot stuffed with, uh, with dirt and some carrot seeds because she loved carrots. Uh -huh. And they were organic because so many of our youth are organic and vegan. And uh, <laughs> they each put the beads into the pot and said thank you or we miss you or hope you're doing okay, snowflake. And I, I gave a, a pretty short homily, one could say, <laughs> about how life is about living and loving and loving is about losing and sometimes the things we love the most leave us and it's okay to cry one girl was very much crying no and the parents were like giggling in the corner because uh, the parents and i have done most of the work over the year which is to find a place for her each weekend to make sure she's okay and, and clean up things. her rampant diarrhea That's right. and uh and so we like kind of we all parted ways we poured the dirt into the woods and then um and in fact, actually, when we were leaving, it was just the staff leaving. After everybody had left, one of the families came screeching back into the parking lot. And we were like, what happened? Did you forget something? And the dad leapt out of the car and he said, yeah, my daughter forgot her red snowball snowflake hamster eyeball. Thank you very little. And he like <laughs> sprinted off to the area where she had dropped a bead and he found it. Uh -huh. She was very excited. Anyway, so a couple of hours later, we were returning all of the supplies to, the, to, the, to our space. And... Uh, who should dart out from behind the fridge? Who? Snowflake. <laughs> <hamster. coughs> uh, and immediately I was like, oh God. <laughs> this Tom Sawyer little rodent wanted us to have a whole funeral so that she could hear through the ether all the good things about her, which were mostly things like, thank you for letting me play with you, and I hope you like your little plastic castle, and... You like vegetables, right? Like, you know, they, they projected a lot of their own ideas onto her. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, gave her, put her back into the cage, brought the cage and her and all of her bedding and food to the original family who had committed to taking care of her for the first oh. third of the summer. The poster was immediately, the picture was posted immediately on Facebook. Everybody knew about it. It was very exciting. She is risen! She is risen! That's what I texted you. She is risen. Uh, roll the stone away. That's right. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, I think Snowflake has the right idea. I when I first, I didn't read Tom Sawyer. I saw the Tom and Huck movie starring Jonathan Taylor Thomas for obvious reasons, <laughs> and I was really like taken with that. Oh, spy on your own funeral and hear everyone say nice things and watch your crush cry over you idea. And in fact, told all of my middle school friends that should something tragic happen to me, they were in charge of making sure every boy I had ever had a crush on came and cried. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but it could still happen. I could, I could uh, take part of that part of your will if you wish. Oh, thank you. I can oversee that. Well, you've had an exciting week. You went away. I did. I did. I went to one of my favorite places on earth, Ocracoke Island. Sidebar, North where I saw my first rainbow in 1994. So clearly magical. <laughs> uh, Ocracoke is an island off the coast of North Carolina in the Outer Banks. It's beautiful, only accessible by ferry. It's very idyllic in many ways and also hot and sweaty and muggy and humid. And who was there? My niece! Your niece? <laughs> so we have not recorded since I became an aunt. I yes? Think so. No. Um, I am an aunt. I've transitioned into that most important role of a sibling of a parent. <laughs> and 
Uh, I have a beautiful little niece named Ellis, who is too cute to be believed. I got to spend a lot of time with her at the beach. Uh, she's a month old, and it was it was all pretty precious, mm. really. It was also pretty great for me because I changed half a diaper the whole time. I like started to and it, everyone realized I was out of my depth and swept in and took over and I mostly got to snuggle but she didn't she doesn't love me yet mm. which is hard. Uh, she tolerates me. I don't know how much she distinguishes anyone but she clearly knows who her parents are and there's a lot of crying and squirming when I would take her from her parents, but there was one extended amount of time where I realized if I put her back to my front, scrunched up her legs, um, up like right under her torso, and then violently rocked in the rocking chair, like really aggressively rocked at the beginning of the week, I was so careful, and then I realized like she doesn't calm down unless she's really being mm. tossed around. <laughs> and so it's just like had her all squished up against my front, facing out just like rocking like a maniac and she fell asleep and we got extended cuddles wow yeah so i'm excited about i assume that this will remain true for the whole time i'm her aunt that if she's in distress i can just like put her back to my front and gather her legs up and then just swing her around like crazy (laughs) yeah 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 the same things work i mean that's what me and my aunt do she's (laughs) five inches shorter than me it still works (laughs) perfect um, well, now that we're all caught up, we can catch up with our fave ladies. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So one of the Wilfs in particular is having a very busy time right now. She is everywhere, and her name is Elizabeth Gilbert. <laughs> you know her. You love her. She's eaten. She's prayed. prayed. She's, she's loved. loved. She's committed. She's coyote ugly. <laughs> she's written her signature on all things. <laughs> <laughs> and now she's living in City of Girls. Her new book, which just came out. Uh, it's a novel, and she is on a book tour. and Which means she is on an Instagram rampage. An Instagram page. <laughs> oh, boy. She's also all over podcasts. Uh, she's being written up in various publications. She is telling her story about this book and about her life since nobody is acknowledging that she's written three books in between Eat, Pray, Love and this. And that she wrote three books before Eat, Pray, Love. Right. But she's catching everybody up up on her life since Eat, Pray, That's Love. Right. Um, yeah, she's got a lot going on. We've discussed it before. Fell in love with her best friend. Took care of her while she died. Died. Uh, wrote this book. Yes. So we have listened to lots of minutes of her talking with various podcasters. Dax Shepard... Sherry and Nancy, who were two ladies. Are j- apparently just two ladies. Yeah. No, one of them knows Oprah. That's right. She was like a producer on Oprah's show. Don't know about the other one. I've been reading a lot of the articles written about her. Oprah herself had her on Super Soul Sunday. That's right. Is there, are we, I feel like we're missing. Mm, that's all I recall at the moment. Well, she's been everywhere. Uh, Specifically, we want to talk about the Super Soul Sunday conversation, which yes. we both just listened to. It was my first experience with Oprah as an interviewer. Oh, really? I don't think I've ever actually seen her show. That's what Oprah does. I know. I but mean, doesn't she also open schools and confront celebrities? Well, yes. And she opens schools. She 
gives browsing speeches. She, like, starts she eating bread has, stops eating bread. <laughs> she has magazines. She rolls out all the fat she lost on stage right. with Dr. Oz. But her, her main gig for many years was interviewing. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, this super soul, I, I guess she has them on Sundays or she reveals them on Sundays? Yeah, I don't know. She sits outside with a a person of note. It could also be called a Wilf anointing ceremony. Cause yeah, that's all of really... Our, all of our Wilfs have gone through. It, it is sort of the definition. If yeah. they haven't been anointed by Oprah, it's hard to call them a certified Wilf. That's true. Hard to give them that grade, <laughs> that grade W. So this one, it's held outside, which is kind of hard for the audio, but I I think probably is great for the video. The, the visual? Yeah, the show on the OWN network. Is part of the appeal of Oprah mm-hmm. that she sort of represents the every woman? Because I didn't feel like her questions were very remarkable. Yeah, I would say, yeah. I think everyone can like kind of see themselves in Oprah. Yeah. That she is a, emotive, she is curious. She's very sincere. She's Yeah, she's very sincere. She um, is like ready to ask for things to be explained and spelled out i didn't i was not an oprah devotee when she had her own show so i can't say Mm. but i think a lot of it is the sort of charisma and enthusiasm it's just like she is in it with whoever she's talking to. i did anytime elizabeth gilbert ended a sentence with well you know oprah blah 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 or like Mm -hmm. said her name i was like oh i like got a little (laughs) like oprah it's also weird i know no one calls her miss winfrey (laughs) But, or Ms. Winfrey, mm-hmm. but whenever Liz Gilbert just casually called her Oprah, I was yeah. like, you, do you dare? <laughs> How dare you just, ca- Oprah, like your best friends, only Gail. Right. Only Gail and Maya Angelou. <laughs> um, and they called Maya Angelou just Maya. Oh, yes. Yeah. And I, it took me a while to be like, oh, they mean Maya Angelou. I don't <laughs> think I've ever heard her name not, you know, fully said. Uh-huh. So she, what were your takeaways from this podcast? Well, so having listened to her talk a lot about writing this book before um, previous interviews on Dex Shepard, etc., a lot of it was really familiar. I've also heard her talk about her experience with Rhea for a while uh, on various podcasts. So a lot of it was really familiar. A lot of, like, we joke, like... We had a whole skit the other night where all we did was say Elizabeth Gilbert lines back and forth. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, it goes down like a tray of champagne cocktails. That's how she describes her book. Yeah. Or how she describes Rhea as a force of nature. Yeah. She was epic. Yeah. <laughs> or how she describes, and this is, I'm not being snide about yeah. this. She just, honestly, anytime she has to describe how how she decided to go be with Rhea and she leave her husband. what it would be like if she had not told her best friend how she felt about her at her moment of death. And she always says, My soul would be appalled. My soul would be appalled. And I think actually it's probably quite efficient. Okay. A little sound engineering. <laughs> I, that all might be kind of weird. It would be quite uh, efficient for her because she knew she was going on, I don't know, 50 interviews about this book in a couple months to kind of have her script so that it's not wrenching open every time. So it makes sense, you know? I'm not completely, like, snarky about the repetitiveness of it. Like, it's easy to make fun of and to imitate because she she is so reliably saying the same thing. But in a way, that makes her credible. It's like, she's not... She's... 
I mean, and every time I heard her say these phrases the first time, it was very powerful. Oh, yeah. You know, that Rhea was her person and how... Um, in this, in the last couple of weeks, she started talking more about how she failed at being a caregiver, that she mm-hmm. had wanted to be the best possible caregiver, and that just wasn't possible for a variety of reasons, and she needs to be taken care of as well. And so Rhea's ex-wife and ex-girlfriend came in, mm-hmm. and they seemed to really mm-hmm. bond and support each other. Um, and at one point, this is what I thought was really funny about the Oprah thing, is she's describing... Liz Gilbert is describing how she um, communicates with Rhea. Oh, yeah. And this is what I wanted to get to yeah, about I mean, the Oprah interview. But which uh, is not an uncommon thing for somebody to do in grief, is to write to them, talk to them. I've done that with people who've died. Like, I... Certainly. Um, mm-hmm. And she's describing, and then Oprah says... <laughs> Oprah goes, oh, this is getting a little woo-woo. <laughs> this is getting kind of woo-woo for me. And I was surprised, because I thought that was Oprah's whole deal. I loved it. <laughs> I love that Oprah can't say, I think this is bullshit. Right, right. <laughs> I bet because it is her brand and her is identity accepting. is to be accepting and curious yeah. and promoting women and promoting anything that helps women especially, but people in general. Be more present and alive. And, and connected. And, and so she can't say, like Elizabeth... Gilbert was saying, like, I write to Rhea, and she writes back to me. Like, I write in her voice on my computer. I just, my hand types outwards from Rhea. And she talks about these different moments where she felt Rhea's presence, like her iPhone turning on and playing a song in the moment that Rhea's being cremated, which sounds astonishing and really, really powerful. But also fucking nuts. Yeah. (laughs) Like, Like, also, like, you... There is a, a general, a real skepticism that I think arises in any earthbound person. Mm-hmm. Not that, and I fight skepticism a lot. I am a pretty whimsical person. Oh, sure. As things go, I think. But I feel that a lot, especially when listening to Liz Gilbert, because she's pretty much committed herself. Like, her last book was called Big Magic. It's about the idea that their ideas have their own consciousness and collaborate with people. She's fully bought into a kind of magical thinking and a belief system that enables her to communicate with the being of love. Right. With her, and as, like, she talks about writing letters to love and love writing back to her. She talks about writing letters to her dead lover and her dead lover writing back to her. And I think it's powerful. I think it's moving. And I think there's, like, nuggets in all of it that are meaningful and helpful it's also woo-woo. Yeah, it's also, I get Oprah being like, girl, really? <laughs> I, excuse me, what? <laughs> Come again? But I think I also heard in Oprah's response, like, mm, okay. Like, yeah. you know, where she, she recognizes that. I mean, Liz Gilbert also says at one point, like, I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm just doing this to help myself mm-hmm. or something along the lines. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think the thing that she acknowledges, and she says it in both a poetic way and a a sort of realist way, of I know her so well by now that I can, and she's a, an amazing writer. She has an incredibly vivid imagination and and an ear for writing and tone and character, and so I can imagine she knows someone so well. She's so devoted to them, she can write in their voice, and she can imagine what she would say. 
that's the realist way of saying it. I think the more poetic way and very beautiful way is saying she's loved Rhea so much and known her so well that she she is braided into her being. Right. And she is always with her. And yeah, and so that she can whether it's her imagining or Reyes speaking through her, it's non-essential. Right. The end result is the same. At one point when um, Liz is describing how intimate she was with Ray even before they committed to each other <laughs> and how they would hold hands and everybody assumed they were in love or having an affair and <laughs> Oprah says, I mean, I saw you and, I mean, Gail's my best friend, but I got nothing on that. <laughs> yeah. And I thought like, oh, people hold up Oprah and Gail as like the epitome of female friendship mm-hmm. and here was Oprah being like, I got nothing on Liz and Ray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because they were, it was not just female friendship. That's they right. were um, sexually and romantically and um, spiritually in love. Yeah, I also loved in that interview. I do recommend the interview. Just it's it's moving. It's they're both pretty funny, but <laughs> I love that Oprah does not have time to know as much about this story as we do. Like we, I know this story about Liz Gilbert and Rhea. I have heard it numerous times, and Oprah kept having to be like, "Now wait, like go the through this timeline again." Yeah. And <laughs> it's like. I'm happy to know that Oprah knows it happened. Oprah is actually has a personal relationship with her and sent her a supportive text and is still like, but wait, did you divorce your husband and then go? In the spectrum (laughs) of people who should know the intricacies of this, Oprah doesn't need to know a lot. You and I, we have eons of time and and, uh, not such a busy schedule. We can immerse ourselves in this world. Arguably, now this is antithetical, antithetical to this podcast yeah. arguably we should not know this much either True. but she's also going around sharing it on a variety of podcasts that we already listen to for yeah. example the dax shepherd podcast yes. i enjoyed hearing more about her childhood her 20s that sort of thing yes yeah so dax shepherd not a wolf <laughs> gonna put him categorically non-wolf right. status not only because he's not a woman i think he's an interesting fellow <laughs> Is that fair? And if? He's... <laughs> Interesting fellow to follow, if you want. Yeah. I, yeah. He's solidly an if. <laughs> uh, because he's like, he's moderate in this way that I'm sort of sympathetic to, but find a little bit self-centered and, and just like, uh, he's like, I think... I don't know. He's very open to the people he's interviewing, but I don't typically listen to his podcast unless he's interviewing someone who I really like because he can be easily like drawn into sort of redneck bro territory mm. and like isn't it so hard to be a poor white man? Mm. And not that it isn't hard, but I I have uh, dwindling patience for sure. that. But his talk with Elizabeth Gilbert was great. Mm -hmm. Um, She grew up on a Christmas tree farm, which I gotta say, I didn't realize was a fantasy of mine, but it is. (laughs) Uh, Yes, you have a lot of those. (laughs) A lot of fantasies. (laughs) Yeah, I do. I do. I like farms. I really like the smell of Christmas trees. They typically need to be grown in sort of a mountainous area. Love mountains. Amy came home yesterday with a new children's book that she bought for her own personal collection, not for her newborn niece. (laughs) And she opened it to the first page. She said, you'll understand why I wanted this. And it's like a picture of a chicken looking over a farm. It was very... Like all children's books. (laughs) 
Um, anyway, so Liz Gilberts, she's everywhere. She's popping up. She's mm-hmm. posting two, three times a day now, doing book tours. She was in Nashville last night, all these things, meeting my favorite author, Ann Patchett, not meeting their old friends. Um, <laughs> but darn, do I love Ann Patchett. Um, Amy, if yes. you were to design a book tour. Okay. Or one stop on the book tour. Mm-hmm. Pick the city, pick the location. What's the setting like in the store? Is it a store? Is it a farm? Ooh, ooh, okay. So I used to work at a bookstore mm. called McIntyre's in uh, Farrington Village, which is technically in Pittsburgh, North Carolina. And it's beautiful, highly recommend. Farrington Village is um, it's a very wealthy <laughs> village built on old farmland. And so there's a big farmhouse and a big barn, and then they've built a little town square around it, and then they've built lots of houses on the acreage. So on the town square, there's this little bookstore. It's really idyllic. It has a it has a fireplace and two comfy chairs by the fireplace. It has a beautiful children's book room. It has a very large mystery section. My one beef with it is that they think they're they don't carry romance novels. Which is I, how you judge a bookstore, I know. I know. And and I didn't fight for that. I was not at an age where I knew how to ask, how to, like, advocate for that. But I was like, we shouldn't have a whole room for mystery and think we're better than selling pop romance. Mm-hmm. Um, because mystery, the one genre where women are often murdered, romance, genre where their pleasure is centered. Exactly. You have heard me make this mm. argument a few it times. It was only once when we were in a bookstore. Really? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, that's my <laughs> spiel. Um, so Also most, most lucrative genre, right? I, I believe so. Yeah. I don't have the numbers, but okay. I believe Anyway, this is to say, go to McIntyre's. One thing I love that they do is when they have a, book, a cookbook signing, mm. they host a lunch in the barn that's also a reading, but the lunch is catered by the, like super fancy restaurant um and so the restaurant brings dishes from the cookbook while the author talks and uh, have a luncheon and then there's a signing is that where you would hold your i think it's i think it's pretty magical it's not i just wanted to tell that story <laughs> i think ideally i've never been there but the the independent bookstore that i most want to visit in the world is square books in oxford mississippi there's a city square, a town square in the middle of Oxford, and on each corner of the square is a different building of the same bookstore. I think one part has used books, and then the other three have different. Wow. It's sort of divided up by, um, what is the word? Genre? Yep. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, by genre. I've never been there. I've heard amazing things. Oxford, Mississippi is also the home of the Southern Foodways Alliance, which is an organization I'm very like curious about and interested in. And I think it would be great to just go there and be in that place, read my book in this really cool bookstore, eat really good food. And it's very, it feels, in my mind, it's very small town and intimate, but would draw a big crowd. Mm. Um, what about you? Nice. Mine would, of course, be focused on the spread. I'd like a accessible and vast charcuterie for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and like sturdy little plates that are compostable. <laughs> um, crackers, cheese, meats, veggies with dips, and then a small cups for a nice um, 
soda of some kind, maybe, or a juice. Mm -hmm. Um, And there'd be ample time to get that before the reading. And then I would read, and I think I would take... People could write down questions ahead of time on a note card, and I could answer those. Um, I would love to go to a David Sedaris book setting. Oh, yeah. Because apparently he reads, and then he will just talk with every person in line for like 10 hours straight and just have the weirdest conversations with somebody. Um, like the story Elizabeth Gilbert told in the Dax Shepard podcast. About meeting? <laughs> about hearing stories about David Sedaris? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, oh, yes. Oh, I yes. won't retell the story of a story retold, so just listen to the podcast. It's funny. Um, but he seems very interesting. Anyway, um, and I would want it to be done pretty early, so I'd want it to start pretty early, but then not as many people could come. Maybe I'd do two in a day. One at two, maybe. <laughs> one at seven. I love the different way we considered this question. This was like place, color, gauzy fabric, probably. <laughs> yeah, I was really thinking about like the whole aura of the setting and like the feeling of being in this like storied. Mine is, I don't want it to put me out too much or anybody who comes. I want great parking. I want parking validation if necessary. They do not have to buy the book. I could sign a piece of paper. You know, I would uh, comfortable chairs, you know, the whole thing. I mean, I think this is important, and this is why we balance each other mm-hmm. out so well as roommates, is I'm all, like, feelings and vibes, and you're all, like, facts and figures. That's right, baby. Um, <laughs> but it does seem it does seem very fun, you know, working yeah. on a book and then sharing it with people who are uh, in awe of you. But I was also thinking today, we were talking about rejection earlier. If you get to the level of Elizabeth Gilbert, can you have a book rejected? Probably... I mean, she would obviously she, probably her own harshest critic. She could fall on a deadline, which she did with this thing. But and I'm sure she could write something that isn't what she promised, and mm-hmm. they would maybe say no. But I feel like at this point, she's going to sell enough books that people will just yeah. I wonder if that's a new kind of celebrity hell that like you don't know if your stuff is good anymore because people just fawn over you. Oh, possibly. I mean, that must be in any... Yeah, but I mean, people do still give real reviews of, like, Brad Pitt's movies or... And, but they give real... I I often feel uh, people are much harsher towards... I mean, I'm sure... I don't think any... I think Elizabeth Gilbert had an enormous number of fans and a lot of goodwill after Eat, Pray, Love, and probably it was much easier to get published, but a lot of people were ready to openly criticize her. A lot of people were ready to call bullshit on the whole idea of Eat, Pray, Love right. and her as a person yeah. and ready to categorize her as, like, chiclet. Right. Like, I mean, if I were... Fluff. If somebody were to explain her to me now and how she's doing this tour and just kind of bearing her soul over mm-hmm. and over again and this, like... She describes herself as a t-shirt canon of love. Um, she's very woo-woo, if, mm-hmm. if, you, if you Oprah. Um, if somebody were to describe that to me in a certain tone, I'd be like, eh, not for me. Mm-hmm. But... I loved Eat, Pray, Love mm-hmm. before the movie came out. And so, as a result, I'm on board. Mm-hmm. And I'm interested in what she's doing. I'm biased towards her. Uh, I do think... Uh, oh, shoot. What did, what were you saying? Rejection? About... Um, oh, well. I won't take up podcast anyway, time. I'm trying I have, to remember a thought I, I had two minutes ago. I have started reading the book, City of Girls. It does indeed go down like a tray of champagne cocktails. Uh, I am enjoying it. It's a very fast read. Oh, also the thing she says repeatedly and repeatedly and repeatedly, and I think it's awesome, and it's a good goal to have with a book, and if you don't know about the book, why 
can't imagine you don't and you're listening to us unless hey you're my dad <laughs> um hey Lou <laughs> but uh she talks about how she wrote uh this book as a story of like it's about showgirls in 1940s theater world in New York yeah and that they are promiscuous you know women full of sexual appetite and sexual adventure who have consequences for that but are not ruined by their sexual experiences um, or the consequences of those and that that's not a story that really exists and I would say my slight rebuttal is it exists abundantly in romance novels but even there I do think it's different than what she's saying in romance novels Having sexual desire and having one partner is really celebrated. Finding the one is the thing of romance novels. But not what she's talking about, which is living a life of of indulgence um, in that way and exploration and not feeling like you owe it to yourself or anyone to settle down or apologize yeah. and this main character from the beginning is unapologetic about it at all she doesn't see an mm-hmm. issue with it um and a lot of the people around her don't either so it, it is refreshing in that way yeah um all right let's let's head to the to the gram so since we've talked about her so much we thought we'd check in with elizabeth gilbert just to see what the the hottest off the press press's business is and it appears to be some sketches of a cat <laughs> uh, oh, we got Ann Patchett talking about her. Ooh. Oh, this is what I was going to say. Just backtracking really quickly to the um, book signing idea. I do think the most appealing part of a book signing, and this is very in line with my Tom Sawyer fantasy, is that someone introduces you. Mm. Um, my, I got to do a reading of my poetry for my undergraduate thesis, and my poetry professor had to like give me an introduction which is, I wish I had written down. Oof. I was like euphoric, could not retain it. The only thing I remember is he talked about a poster that said something about cheese, and then he said, Amy's lens on the world is food. Oh, <laughs> I bet you were so happy. But <laughs> I think that's like the greatest fantasy of a book reading. It's like, ooh, who will introduce me and how will they gush? Well, you and I just got to practice doing that with each other because we wrote bios for each other on our new website check it out we we'll don't have a <laughs> domain name yet but we will it's we're working on it um so she's liz is posting a bunch i'm gonna why don't we just pick one i love the early picture of her oh yes that's a perfect one so there's a picture she posted uh, yesterday june 17th it's a it's a throwback. If way back in 1986, Molly Ringwald and Sean Penn had magically spawned a weirdly full-grown baby who was maybe a little high, it would have been me, senior year of high school. Enjoy. And it's a picture of her in a uh, in 1986, so uh, high school age, with a white turtleneck and a denim jacket and dangly earrings and hair that defies gravity. Yeah, it's like sideways. <laughs> but also up. It's like a bob, but it's curly, but it's all way to one side. She could be, I don't know, is that an early Kurt Cobain look? Not the turn, no. but the hair? No, okay. No, that's big. That's 80s. That's oh, a yeah, mall. This is, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed this picture just like I enjoyed that early Cheryl Strayed picture from what we talked about in mm-hmm. an earlier episode. Um, 
she talks a lot about her past and it's cool to see it. She talks in the Oprah interview about how she didn't have to do much research on the sexual desire and promiscuity of the character in her book because mm-hmm. she was a young, fast girl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I like this, how the, like, putting what I know about her now as a as a 49-year-old woman onto this high school girl because you see it, she looks feisty. Yeah. She looks... She's a little bit smug. Yeah, she looks... She looks very confident. Yeah. And that's the thing about her that I find, I think, really charismatic and also pretty unrelatable. Mm. I'm, I'm growing into my confidence, but at this age, I don't think I would have taken a picture looking straight into the camera smirking. Mm. You know? As a high schooler, I don't think I felt that like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> if we're judging confidence based on uh, ability to look straight into a camera I don't think I have that either well we have confidence in other ways certainly no but there is something about this where I see someone who's like going to sort of doggedly pursue the world by this point she'd already I think committed to being a writer yeah um you know however that would take her whatever that would do yeah um so nice to meet you young young Liz (laughs) she really so well <laughs> um, and yeah I think that's enough Liz Gilbert we've truly talked about her she's talked about herself a lot as well <laughs> um, then we'll check in with our pal Abby Wamba because she's having she's in our in our ether right now because the US women's uh, national team soccer team is in the World Cup and is doing quite well yes so I think actually, um, it's funny. It's an Abby Wom- It's on Abby Wambach's page, but it's a video of Glennon, mm. her wife. And this is what's interesting to me. The so it's the U.S. women's national team is the best women's soccer team in the world. Probably this World Cup will decide right now, but they have been dominant for a long time, and. Abby Wambach was a leader of the last Women's World Cup winning team and is like Mrs. Soccer. And now she's Ms. Soccer. And so now she's married to Mrs. Ms. Glennon Doyle, who is like proudly. she's She's doing something really interesting where she's both totally oblivious to sports and really illiterate like sports Soccer illiterate yeah. but everyone her wife and now all of her children are really into soccer and she soccer is a huge part of her life and she watches tons of it glennon you mean yeah yeah and so she has to talk about it a lot and i think it's i think she does it in a funny way sometimes i'm like just know right just know what it is right she when we saw her when we saw them live she had this bit about like so the I, I watched a clip and somebody used their head to hit the ball into the goal. Can you believe that? Their head. Yeah. Uh, She's yeah. like always talking about she doesn't know what offsides is. Yeah. So this this video is Glennon like giving her interpretation of what all the rules means, especially like offsides. Um, and she is like giving a, a, a humorous tutoring session to other soccer moms. Kind of like a, a heterosexual wife, like talking about 
How she doesn't know football. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, they are a lesbian couple who's very progressive and very... Mm -hmm. But they do feel pretty traditional gender roles, it seems. In this this part, yeah. Um, In the way they dress and in the way they approach sports, for sure. Maybe not in... I don't know about their household. You and I do not require that of, of... of gay couples we don't expect no that it's just something we've noticed uh, about this couple in particular yeah. um you were going to talk about our our friend oh yes um so we have a friend uh brandon shout out brandon he won't listen to this i guarantee but your dad will but my <laughs> yes absolutely <laughs> yes um but Brandon is the biggest women's soccer fan I know. He is. He comes from um, a family of strong uh, athletes, uh, and his his mother uh, has been a volleyball coach, uh, I think, for college level volleyball, and now is really involved with golf in South Carolina. His sister basically plays professional. Uh, ultimate frisbee Whoa. yeah his older sister i think also was like very competitive in in one sport or another they're all they're real sporty family and brandon expresses that through being the number one um women's soccer fan i know like he falls asleep watching uh women's so- old u.s women's national <laughs> he, was games. he would stay up until the end but you know old stuff yeah, no, he'll look up clips of, like, his favorite games and let that lull him to sleep. And I've, I've learned so much from, like, knowing him and watching him watch soccer. I know certainly more players' names. That I'm, I like sports a lot, but and I played soccer for a time until I was about 10. It was not my game. Um, but I think it's really interesting to watch, like, the Carolina Courage now in Cary, North Carolina, as a women's soccer team, professional. It's really, I think, maybe number one in the country, or has been. It's been a really good team, and he has, like, season tickets, and I've gone with him to a few games. And it's great to hear from him, like, all of the the personal lives of all the players and how they relate to each other and what their career trajectories have been and who's played for what with who else and like they're playing their teammate on the national team on this other team and I enjoy watching with him more than I enjoy watching alone because it's not only the game it's also a story he's like the commentator and the color commentator (laughs) yes yes I've tried to convince him to start a podcast Mm. about women's soccer I think he'd be great he's a hilarious comedian but the one of the things that I have found most interesting and like inspiring about his fandom and then just like watching Abby and watching uh, Megan Rapino especially and the, most of the women on the national team is that there's a there's an activist like spirit to it of um well there's a lot of queer players Megan Rapinoe especially has been like vocal and um I'm I'm not the expert if someone mm-hmm. is listening and knows more about Brandon. women's if Brandon's listening he's might maybe a little disappointed at how uneducated I am about this but um I think Megan Rapinoe was the first player to kneel during the national oh, anthem yeah. at a women's soccer game she's white but she's gay and she's very she's just in general like very political and vocal 
but there's also been tons of um like the thing that i've seen uh abby wambach do quite a bit is speak out for equal pay Mm -hmm. or pay parity um because the women's team gets paid tremendously less than the men's team women's players get paid so much less than the men's team and in america they bring in more money Mm. Um, I heard I heard this on a different podcast recently. Like people's argument will be, oh, but if not as many people watch, then they're not earning as much money. But many people watch because they're the they're America's soccer team. Yeah. Um, they're the ones that represent us the best internationally. They're amazing, and they're forced to play on. There's a big scandal years ago. Not scandal, but conversation years ago that they were playing on astroturf. Mm-hmm not real turf and it was like that's really dangerous mm-hmm. they're like getting all these bruises and burns and like uh that like fifa wasn't providing them with the funds for actual fields many of them don't make enough for it to be their only job mm. um which i think transitions us pretty well into our reading this week is from Wolfpack, which is abby's book which we went to see the event on in our last episode and a lot of the inspiration for her writing this book is realizing that she was not compensated in the way that men in her field are. Yeah. And that she has to continue to advocate for herself even into retirement. Yeah. So this book is 100 pages long. Pick one of those numbers. Ooh, 33 was my lacrosse number. In fact, I played soccer for a whole season, didn't know the rules. <laughs> I am the Glennon of the situation. 33. This is a short one. All right. Chapter 3. Lead from the bench. Old rule. Wait for permission to lead. New rule. Lead now. From wherever you are. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I like your diction. Um... So she talks about how in 2015 she was playing a game and she was she was not good enough basically to be on the starting roster. So she was on the bench, um, and she was like, "What am I going to do? What am I going to do?" And she said, she decided like I'm going to lead from where I am, mm-hmm. um, and it was giving me chills just to read it. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, lead lead from the lead from the bench. How do you lead from the bench? How do oh god. You lead from the couch. <laughs> That's. Uh, I mean, I think you could speak better to how I lead from the couch than I could. I don't intend to lead from the couch. <laughs> well, um, you've helped oh me God. a lot. You've helped me. <laughs> if one of the ways that, uh, based on a quote I saw on the back of a shirt I wore once, uh, <laughs> it was a quote by John Quincy Adams that a leader. Oh sure. Inspire others. Inspire a leader is somebody who inspires others to do th- do things. Is if, if you inspire wait, people... Wait, is that... Wait, could you... Uh, that, thus spaketh John Quincy Adams. A leader is one who inspires others to uh, do things. It's something like, if you inspire others to do, make, or leader, then you're a leader. <laughs> I don't have the shirt anymore. Uh, um, that was amazing. But it was teal. Um, I feel seen. Anyway, you would you inspire me. You helped me through a, an issue I had this week. Um, uh, I, I was not asking you to speak I about know, how I inspire you. But I would you. say I you have influenced about... me to 
Uh, well, it's not specifically leading, now that I think about it. <laughs> no, here's what I think. Um, this is, it reminds me, I was a leader in training at my summer camp. We had LITs instead of CITs. I'll tell you, that John Quincy Adams shirt I wore was my CIT shirt. Oh, I'm 2007 sure. 2007. <laughs> so, when we, when I was a leader in training at a Methodist sailing camp, uh... Oh, that was the whitest sentence I've ever heard you say. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, it was a pretty white experience. Mm. Um, but we read the the Tao of leadership as part of our like leadership workshops and the thing is I don't know if you've ever read any I haven't the Tao despite leading a leadership program when I was the CIT <laughs> counselor I didn't do much prep uh so the whole philosophy of Taoism is like a gentle touch like less is more I shouldn't. I also should not speak as if I'm an expert on Taoism. I read some of it when I was 16. Dax Shepard's podcast is called The Armchair Expert. Ours should be called The Couch Amateurs. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But something that I took away from that is an effective way to lead is by not actually putting yourself above the people that you're trying to lead, but like sitting in a circle and putting yourself on the same level and. amplifying other people's voices as opposed to dictating Mm. to people and I think that enables people to lead from the bench as it were and also makes you part of inherently a part of what you're leading like if you make room for people if you shine a light on people they can be just going about their business setting a good example and can become a leader Mm -hmm. because they're doing something well yeah um, not because they have spoken louder than other people and demanded more attention and overpowered anybody, but because they were diligent and hardworking and reliable. Um, or in the case of how I imagine on a soccer team, they had a good attitude and they were always encouraging and they pay, they were always paying attention and yeah. ready to like give input. I would say the um, the leadership on my high school softball team mm-hmm. was not very good. It was <laughs> coach coach was great, mm-hmm. um, but his one mistake was not being clear about who the captain was. So these two seniors basically oh, named themselves captains, even though the coach had basically said all seniors are captains, and I was a senior that year. Mm-hmm. And I just remember this one girl named Liz <gasps> saying. Um, he didn't say it, but the coach uh, told me and Alyssa that we were, those are their real names, told me and Alyssa <laughs> that we're the captains, so you should listen to us. And I just, I was like, oh no, a mutiny hath begun. <laughs> Actually, that reminds me of a time on my lacrosse team when a number of us hey, revolted from the bench mm. against our coach. This is going to sound smug, and it was. <laughs> but this, I was on JV, the JV women's lacrosse team. What was your mascot? The whirlies, <laughs> Grimsley whirlies, yeah, yeah. That sounds like a. That sounds like a. Who, uh, who, who? The Grimsley whirlies sounds like the the knockoff Hogwarts ghost that didn't make it. <laughs> Grimsley whirly. <laughs> oh, I like that hot take. Um, whirly pride. Um, anyway, whirly like a tornado. Yeah. Okay. Or a hurricane. Yeah. It back in the fifties they were the whirly birds. We oh, okay. Were, sure. Does that clarify anything? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, Those now extinct birds, the world birds. <laughs> so anyway, one time we had this awful JV lacrosse coach who was like 
fresh out of college, maybe still in college, just wasn't ready and was really just like snotty and mean and gossipy and she just wanted to like be one of the girls kind of Mm -hmm. and not she wasn't she didn't really set a good example and she got easily frustrated and would like yell at people for like not good reasons but then would like want to goof off and like be cool I think if someone had invited her to a party she would have come Mm -hmm. Uh, and one time after we lost the team we lost to was like celebrating and really excited and took a photo in front of their goal like like hoisting each other up and cheering and our coach just got really pissed off and was like come on we're gonna do it and was like wanted to mock them and do the same thing in front of our goal like just make fun of them Mm. taking pictures and imitating them and like being loud and sassy out on the field and like two girls got up and the rest of us set like didn't stand up and we were like no why would we they won they're allowed to celebrate why would we mock them for being happy about a victory oh and then you're like why am i the one teaching the coach about sportsmanship yeah because we jv we're all like 14 yeah (laughs) like uh and she like got all pouty that we like Mm. embarrassed her by like not going up there and it's like you're not cool yikes you're childish (laughs) anyway that's one way to lead is by refusing to do what your coach says (laughs) and another is to wear inspirational t-shirts you don't remember the quotes to oh you don't know who you're inspiring (laughs) yeah exactly could be John Quincy Adams could be the dog over there All right, we've come to the end it's time for oh dang it you got it no that felt sad I can do this lead yeah, Wilf Whistle. Uh, this is the segment at the end of each episode where we send something out into the ether, hoping it will reach the Wilfs, uh, and they can get back a- to us. You know, whether it's through our own hand, our own hands, whether we're oh. writing, ooh, or my- typing. Yeah, maybe some they'll real, speak right through us. Some real woo woo stuff. <laughs> yeah, mm. getting pretty woo woo. <laughs> Um, Mother my, Oprah. <laughs> my question, Aunt Oprah, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, my question is: as I approach my first free summer break as an educator, no homework, no projects, no no job search. Uh, I'm thinking a lot about how to plan my day, how to think of my day, how to conceptualize the summer, and I want to know what constitutes an ideal solo day Mm -hmm. for any of these ladies elizabeth gilbert has talked about how once a week she takes herself out to a coffee shop and a book with a book that's nice i wonder what glennon does um wonder what ann patchett does wonder what oprah does you know not with friends uh yeah what's it like what do you what do you do because my plan is mostly to read (laughs) read eat sleep um it's not quite eat pray love but yeah. it's close uh my my wolf whistle is kind of the reverse i have been in philadelphia for about 10 months now i moved here last august and now it's june and i have had a great time exploring and getting to know the city and getting to know tests and getting into my graduate program leading from the couch but it's still hard it is still consistently hard and it still feels like a new and strange city and meeting people and building community and uh, making it feel like 
a, my actual life, not a life I am temporarily squatting in, uh, is a hard thing to like realize. So my question uh, slash request from the Wilfs, which whichever, is um, how do you make a place feel like yours? And uh, how do you go about building a community more or less from scratch? Um, when you are uh, the a little fish in a big, big strange pond. And let's say you you don't have the extroverted, uh, whirly bird nature of a Liz Gilbert. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you're not a t-shirt cannon of love, and more a throw pillow of love, <laughs> throw <laughs> pillow of affection. You could throw me at someone. Sure. But if not, I'll just sit there on the couch and be soft <laughs> and nice. Is that weird? Well, did, I'm out did there I make setting it out weird? the meats and cheeses. <laughs> oh. That's a great question. Thank you. That's great. Um, so, uh, did we just, like, sort of sing our way out? Is that just, did we just doodle-oodle-oo? oodle 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 oodle